maybe your listeners are saying, well, why do you love something that's so dysfunctional? You know, looking back at all the the problems with the church, the issues that come from the institution, how can you stay and deconstruct? Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Exvangelical Podcast, where being labeled a heretic is a good thing, if it means refusing to conform to toxic, harmful expressions of faith. We address your questions about God, politics, how we got here, and how to move forward. Nothing is off limits in our conversations with scholars, spiritual seekers, and activists in our quest to uncover the heart of faith. We're your hosts, Melanie and Gary Ellen, and this is Holy Heretics. Before we get started, we have something brand new that we wanted to tell you, our listeners, about first. For so many of us who really find ourselves questioning the faith we were given, the Bible really becomes a sticking point. Can we even trust it? Is it inerrant? If it's not, does that mean we should just totally throw it out? Should we even read it anymore? If so, how do we read it? And what about all the different translations? I mean, the questions can become overwhelming and really confusing. And so because of our own questions, we started digging and then decided to turn all our research into a live course that we're calling Making Sense of the Bible Post-Deconstruction. And we will be debuting it in July. Because we want this course to have time for questions and dialogue, we are only opening it up to our Patreon supporters, and it's on a first-come, first-served basis. So between now and June 30th, 2021, if you become a monthly Patreon patron, we will reserve your seat for the course. So head to our website, which is holyheretics.org, and click on the button that says support on Patreon, or head straight to patreon.com slash holyheretics to become a patron of any amount and reserve your spot before they're gone. Now let's get started. Today, we have the privilege of sitting down with Joey, who is the host of Dismantle podcast, and that is a deconstruction podcast that's similar to ours, and he specifically invites conversations and dialogue from people of all backgrounds and faith persuasions. It is a podcast that we highly recommend. Definitely check it out and add it to your lineup. We're having him on today to talk about two really important topics And it's things that I'm sure many of you have wondered about, and that is staying in church while deconstructing and talking with people with whom we disagree fundamentally or even just on small things of, you know, is deconstruction a good thing or not? Any of those things. Um, How do we how do we continue to have relationships or at least have constructive conversations with people who who really disagree with us. So these are some big topics, and uh, it seems like there's very few answers out there, and there's a lot of gray areas. So we're really excited to have you today, Joey. Thanks for joining us and being willing to tackle such difficult topics. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be on. All right, Joey. So we're going to dive in. Uh, as Mel said, you host your own deconstruction podcast, but You've not only stayed in church, you still serve as a worship leader, which kind of blows my mind when I when I think about that, because <laughs> most of us who have gone through the deconstruction process or are currently in the deconstruction process uh, have either just walked away from church altogether or really kind of have some barriers up as it relates to our association with or even, you know, membership with the church. So um, can you just talk? Uh, a little bit to us to get us started about, um, you know, your story of deconstruction and in particular why you've chosen to stay in church as you are going through the deconstruction process. Sure. So I grew up in a conservative, fundamentalist, evangelical environment that is labeled Plymouth Brethren. If you're not familiar with that denomination, there may be a hop, skip, and a jump away from Amish. Um, hmm. Women wear their head coverings. Men are only allowed to speak. Uh, there's a very literal interpretation of the Bible. If it says it, we do it. And uh, questions are definitely not appreciated. Uh, they're not encouraged. And so that was my upbringing for about 21 years. Uh, but I was a musician. And so growing up, I was playing music, and, and that played a big part in my life. 
but music also was the catalyst for getting me out of that environment. It gave me legs to go into different church environments, to to experience different methods and, and practices of connecting to the divine. And I'm going to skip over a bunch of chapters here, but eventually that that role of music led to me taking a pastoral job uh, with the Christian Missionary Alliance, uh, another denomination within evangelicalism. But the issues of my past continued to arise, things like strained relationships, family issues, spiritual questions, self-doubt, things like that. And so I began therapy at the same time I began my first church job. And I was loving it. I'm still with my therapist, uh, the same one. I know that that is incredibly rare, but after 10 years, we're still together, uh, you know, processing things and and trying to get healthy. Uh, But as I was getting emotionally healthy, I started asking questions in other places. Uh, If if I was able to look at my life and fix areas that were broken, well, what other areas in my life are broken and what else can be fixed? And so I started asking questions. Why can't we do this in all the spheres of my life? And so that's really where deconstruction began. That's where I would point to to say this is what the catalyst was. And ironically, it happened while I was starting at a church. But after asking enough questions which we all tend to do, you know, one question begets another one. Uh, I was realizing that I was not going to last long in that environment. I was not going to stay. I was not going to be a career pastor. Um, and I was young on this staff as well. All of the all of the pastors and the workers that I was working with were my parents' age. And so they had kids who had walked away from church and wanted nothing to do with church. And we were expecting our first child. And I just said, you know what? I just don't want that legacy for my kids. And so I left that church job, which was difficult. You know, anytime somebody leaves a a place of belonging, of acceptance, of financial stability, like that's difficult. And when we left, we were also church hopping a bit. We were in and out of different environments because, again, I had friends and uh, music had taken me places. So it, it was sort of like a, a buffet of, okay, where are we going to go next? And where are we going to go as a family? And so we found ourselves back in the Plymouth Brethren environment, not in the same church, but in the same denomination. Hmm. And so I started serving in various volunteer capacities. And the reason that we went back to that environment was not necessarily because of the theology, but because of the community. And that's one of the things that I love about that environment. Uh, I'm, I'm, a half glass full type of guy. I'll, I'll try to make lemonade out of lemons all the time. And, and one of the things that I really like about that denomination, uh, amidst all the things that I don't like, is that the community is incredibly powerful. Uh, it's a strong bunch of people focused on their interpretation of Jesus and loving each other as best they can. And so that's really what brought us back to that. And so while we were there, I didn't want to sit, soak, and sour. I didn't want to do nothing. And plus, I just had five years of content and and experiments within church, and I had a different perspective on doing things. And so I found myself in leadership. I was doing things like preaching, leading worship again. Uh, 2020 led to digital content. Uh, <laughs> I became a deacon, things like that. Hmm. Uh, and that lasted about four years until about six months ago when I took another worship role at a different Christian Missionary Alliance church. But within all of that time, I really haven't stopped asking questions. I haven't stopped deconstructing, but I also haven't stopped loving the church. And a lot of maybe your listeners are saying, well, why do you love something that's so dysfunctional? You know, mm-hmm. looking back at all the the problems with the church, the issues that come from the institution, how can you stay and deconstruct? And the first thing that I would usually ask somebody asking that question is, well, what does stay in the church mean? What are you saying when you say that? Because I think it's a little bit simplistic to just stay in the church, you know, just to say stay in the church as though that's limited to church attendance. 2020 showed us that church attendance is not really a thing anymore. (laughs) Um, So what I think is under that question, and I could be wrong, but what I think is how can you associate your progressive self with a conservative evangelical environment? I think that's really what's being asked. How can you associate yourself? How can you position yourself, not only just attendance-wise, like to tell people that this is where you go to church, but also from a position of leadership? How do you get on the pulpit? How do you get behind the platform 
and promote these ideologies. And I think, yeah, I want to know the answer to that. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> I was pausing for dramatic effect. <laughs> boom, um, boom, boom. You know, looking back, I haven't always stayed in those environments, but I've always been less trigger happy to jump ship at the first disagreement. Um, one of the things that I've noticed within my my childhood is that we always stayed within a brethren environment, but we didn't stay in the same brethren church. And we hopped maybe three, four times. Uh, and it was always due to sin issues, or at least that was what was told to me. It was a sin issue. There was an issue with the leadership. There was an issue with this. There was an issue with that. And so to honor God, we had to, we had to leave. And that mentality, I think, is rampant throughout all of evangelicalism, we can over-spiritualize issues of preference when actually you just don't know how to get along with people. Mm. Um, and so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to follow Jesus. And you'd say, well, that also is simplistic and, and great. Me too. I'm trying to follow Jesus too. Well, right before he died, he prayed that his followers would be one, that we would be unified. And so with all that the church does poorly, and there is a ton that it does poorly, with all that it does well, and there's some really good things that it does, very unique and specific to church that you won't find anywhere else. Since I'm a part of that, since I'm a member of the church, I want to help add to the unity. And so that's why I stay in church. That's what I feel called to. If you want to spiritualize it, use some Christianese around it, that's what I feel called to. I don't feel called to a building. I feel called to a people. I feel called to a work um, that if Jesus died for humanity, that includes me and that includes the person that I can't stand. And so instead of trying to change them, how do I build unity? How do I be effective at this, essentially this dying request, this last thing he asked before he died? And I've just seen that I'm way more effective at doing that from inside the house than outside of it. Hmm. Well, shoot. Yeah, I feel I feel really guilty now, but thank yeah. you, Joey. Uh, no problem. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I do have to say, I am a little surprised that the church you're currently at is okay with or tolerates um, you being part of the leadership and like having this podcast where you have people on of all different uh, persuasions and backgrounds and current um levels or uh, not levels but i guess um affiliations you know sure. you have not just christians but you have atheists and agnostics and I i'm guessing probably people from total like hinduism and buddhism on um and it seems like a lot of times our churches kind of police that or control that mm -hmm. um and they don't like it when people are putting out ideas that seem to totally contradict uh their interpretation of the bible and especially because like i mean you're not just like you know just some some guy posting on social media every now and then like you have a podcast you have a very public voice so how does your church respond to all that and like do you ever have conflict with them over that um and i guess maybe more importantly does do they ever try to influence what you do talk about on your podcast yeah, so there's been a few churches within the span of that story. Uh, like I had mentioned, the one that I worked at first appreciated the questions, but at the end of the day, we had a product to deliver, so there really wasn't time to think about questions. And the podcast really hadn't started at that point. The podcast started uh, conceptually in 2016-17. We were on the air by 2018. And so they really didn't have time for those questions. They didn't make space for reevaluating some of the concerns that I had. And, and that also led to some of my, my reasoning for leaving. I sort of said, well, this isn't a place that's going to foster a question. Mm. Um, you know, I'm pretty secure in my faith. What happens if somebody's not? Is this really a, a location that I feel comfortable being at? So, you know, in the first sense of that church, no, they, you know, they, appreciated it, but it was like, you know, Sunday's coming every seven days. So get up there and sing those songs. So <laughs> in, mm. in that regard, no, that church didn't matter. Now the, the church that I volunteered at did not like the questions. 
Um, they were appreciated, but I, what was appreciated was me. The fact that I was there, that I had young kids, that I was present, but not that I was trying to rock the boat. Um, now some of those people in leadership, but also people at that other church are my listeners. They're some of my biggest fans. Mm. Um, but ultimately leadership did not want that change. And I spoke to them and and was spoken to by a couple of them, uh, primarily because I was in a position of leadership. I was in a position of leaders uh, of influence, and you know I would preach occasionally. I was definitely leading worship often. And what I want to say about that is, I get it. Like I understand that the guy at the pulpit, the the veneer that we present is that that guy should have all the answers. And so when the guy gets up there and says, actually, I don't have all the answers, which I think I did in one sermon, <laughs> that's definitely going to rock the boat. But to their credit, they listened to my perspective, even though they didn't agree with it. They at least wanted to understand where I was coming from. But at the end of the day, that was a hard no. That's not the direction that we're going. And so the church that I'm at now is, is definitely more progressive. But what I'll say about the leadership is that they're very secure. Uh, they're secure in themselves. They're secure in their doubts. They're secure in their leadership. And so they're on board with my quest, but within reason. Uh, but I always say the same thing when people push back, and they do. Well, I still get pushback. You know, the show's been on the air for two years. <laughs> We're coming up on episode 200. Uh, but, you know, I still get some pushback. And when that pushback does come, I always ask the same question. Why do questions make you uncomfortable? Mm. Not in a not in a, Hey, I just, I just won the argument. Therefore, uh, we're not going to talk about this anymore. Like I'm genuinely curious why are questions very uncomfortable to you? Because that's all they are. Uh, if you listen to my show, I talk very rarely. I ask questions because mm -hmm. as we'll get to, there's a very strong intention of my show. Um, and I think it's a little cliche, but I'm going to say it anyway, that Jesus asked more questions than he actually answered. If you go back and you look at the Bible, Jesus is constantly asking questions of people, which they're answering and then he's responding to, but he's often asked questions and he doesn't directly answer them. Right, right. Yeah, he almost never answers a question. Yeah, you know, it's very interesting. Um, but I think an organization that can't handle scrutiny, uh, an organization, in this case, the church, that can't handle questions, either A, has something to hide. B, doesn't truly believe what it's claiming, or C, and I think this is the main thing, it just fears losing control. But critique is always rooted in love. If you're critiquing something, if you're asking questions of something, you're not asking those questions unless you have a deep appreciation for it. You see the value, you want to make it better. That's always been my intention. It's not necessarily like, hey, how do we get everybody on board with the LGBTQ community? It's more like, hey, I'm a part of this. And I love you. So how do we make this better for all of us? Mm. Because like if we are going back to that John 17 request of unity, like there's got to be some give and take. And so the questions en enable some take. But when the take isn't given, sometimes you have to be the one to give. But to your other question, Melanie, no, uh, church leadership and communities really don't have an influence on my show, but I do describe it like this. I have tattoos and I have a lot of them. Tattoos mean something to me. And I know people see Leviticus 19 very differently than I do. So I'll be respectful if I'm representing my church or my job, but they mean something to me. And so I'm not going to apologize for who I am and who God made me. And it's the same with the podcast. I love fostering good conversations. I love asking questions. I think it's how God designed me. And I know that that's not for everyone. So I'm never going to shove that down someone's throat as a pastor unless someone asks me. I won't use my platform for promotion. But again, it's who I am. And so I'm not going to apologize for it. Hmm. I like that. Hey, by the way, so you mentioned your church. Um the Plymouth Brethren? Yes. Am I remembering that correct? Okay. So when you said that, it, it just conjured up all kinds of things like Puritans and Black Hats and the Mayflower <laughs> Compact and like Thanksgiving dinner. Um, that's about and right. That, I, just, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm not a church historian, but I, I'm pretty sure that's really, really accurate. Um, so I'm assuming if any of that 
incredibly gross stereotype is even even anywhere true, um, that probably means that there's a little bit of dissonance as it relates to potentially what uh, the Plymouth Brethren denomination teaches or promotes and what maybe Joey believes in his heart of hearts. So uh, if that's true, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with, again, kind of staying you know, in the pew, in leadership, and then where do you draw the line with like, okay, guys, the, come on, like, I, I can't support this. I can't um, believe in this. I just can't go there anymore. I mean, wh- what does that tension look like for you? Because a lot of us are doing that. We may not be in leadership, but if we are continuing in the church, no matter what church it is, there's going to be some cognitive uh, dissonance. There's going to be things you hear and just go, yeah, I, I'm not on board with that at all. For sure. And if and when that happens, how do we appropriately react as it relates to our conscience, but also in that pursuit of unity? So I'll speak to the imagery that you got, and then I'll answer your question. Uh, Plymouth <laughs> Brethren, yeah, it does sort of sound like the Mayflower, uh, but where they grew was in Dublin, Ireland in the 1800s, and there was a, a schism between the Catholic Church and the Protestant church and the brethren found themselves saying, well, that's not what the Bible says at all. And so we're just going to be people of the word. We're just going to be people of the book. And the way that they develop that is they look at the Lord's supper, they look at communion and they say, okay, this is a service. And so every seven days, the first thing they do from about nine fifteen to around 10 o'clock is uh, men will share, men will give a thought, a hymn, a prayer. And then that leads to, uh, taking the bread, taking the wine, but it's about 45 minutes of just focusing on Jesus, which I think is pretty cool. And then right. their, you know, regular church service would be probably a little bit more conservative than most. Uh, but like I said, the the community aspect is just, you know, out of control. I, I love what they do. And so to your question, you know, how do you stay in places where there is a cognitive dif- di- dissonance? I think that there's a difference between uniformity and unity. So unity is when we're one. Unity is when we've all got the same mind, the same spirit, the same purpose, mission, you know, what have you. The goal is the same. But uniformity is when we all believe the same things and we practice the same things and we recite the same things. And so my goal, like I mentioned before, is unity. And by nature there's going to be things that I disagree with. Like, that's just life. And I think I think a lot of us within Christianity have looked at disagreements and been like, well, those are, those are hard and fast rules. That's the straw that broke the camel's back. Well, you know, you don't do that in your job. Why do you get to do that in your church? You don't do that with your family. I mean, obviously, there's toxic and harmful situations, but I just think Christianity t- today is just too triggered. They're mm-hmm. looking for something to argue about, but they're not finding ways to become one. And like we said, obviously, there's harmful situations and uh, environments, abusive, toxic theologies that you should not remain in. So I'm not saying just stick it out no matter what. But by and large, people's reasons for leaving church, in my experience, is because that they are focused on that uniformity and not unity. And like you, like you mentioned, Gary Allen, there's a, there's a line where we can't go forward. The line used to be very over-spiritualized for me. There was always a sin issue. There was always this brother did this, and I can't believe the leadership is going in this direction. And then we would leave. But if you boil it down, those are just preferences. Hmm. Now, there's nothing wrong with preferences. We all have them. Um, but my line now is now about stagnation. Are we moving? Are we progressing? Are we choosing progress? Are we asking questions? Is there a pace that we're keeping? If that's the case, if all of those things are being checked off, well, then I can have grace and recognize that not everything is going to be my preference. And if I'm getting my way, that that means somebody else is not getting theirs. Hmm. Because others are dealing with me while I'm dealing with them. I think we do have this, this uh, self-centered, ego-driven mentality, like the, the church is here to serve me. Well, the church is here to be served. Uh, and, and that means by you. But I think it, it's going to take a lot more for me now to get to a place of I can't move forward 
because my focus again is unity, but it's also about patience. It's patience with mm. people, patience with leadership, knowing they're just as human as I am. And we're all going to mess up. We're all going to have our blind spots. We're all going to have that spot where we feel like we can't go forward. But again, what's the goal? What's the main thing we're focused on here? Is it making sure we've got that third worship song and it's Bethel and it's it's going to be a, a great closer? Or is it, you know, I, I just want to sit in the same space as all these different people knowing that Jesus asked me to be unified and I'm a part of that. If that's our goal, I think that's the way forward. But like, hmm. so with the Plymouth Brethren, you said that only men are allowed to speak and yeah. You know, for me, it's like, I can't, I would not be able to remain in a church that says I, as a woman, simply by how I was born now have no voice within the church and, you know, like all the complementarian patriarchal teaching. So like, I'm like, how do you, how do you stay unified in something like that when to me, that's like more than just like, oh, well, this is my preference. It's like, no, this is a matter of like subjugating half of the population. Right. Because we have a certain way of reading the text. So like, take, I, I don't let's I take that, do that issue. That was that was my main platform. Um, you know, once I had a daughter, it was it was all over for me. Um, you know, I'm not going to tell my daughter six days out of the week that she can be anything she wants, hear from God. And she's got a calling on her life. and then three hours on a Sunday completely subvert that. Yeah. That just was not going to be my reality. And so unity does not mean silence. Unity does not mean no asking questions. Unity doesn't mean uh, just going along with what's being presented. It means doing the work. Um, when you do see something like that was my big thing. Like every, every opportunity I got as a deacon, it was like, look, we're going to talk about women. And I know we talked about it before, but we're going to talk about it again. And we're going to talk about it again, because this is the way I see things. And this is where mm -hmm. I see it in scripture. And you can base five verses to back your point, but I can pick 10, you know? So like what it boils down to is, look, we can use the Bible. We can use our preferences as weapons to get our way, or we can get at it and try to figure out what this is. So unity isn't just about going along with what's always been tradition. It sometimes means dismantling for lack of a bad pun, but it, you know, it looks like <laughs> taking apart the whole thing and saying, I think we got this wrong. How do we put it back together? That works for all people because right now in this situation, half of us can't open our mouths and that's not okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, like we've got at least for this issue, you've, you found one of my soapboxes. I'll get off it in a minute. But at least for this issue, we're more focused on the writings of Paul and not on the actions of Jesus. Jesus was way more subversive to the culture and the norms of that day when it came to women than Paul's few verses taken out of context ever were. Right. And so either we got it wrong and we need to reevaluate. Or, like we said, this is where I can't move forward. But it's not because I haven't had that conversation. I think a lot of people just are like, they make up their minds and they say, okay, well, they don't think this, so I need to leave. Well, have you talked with leadership? Have you sat down with them? Have you wrestled with them and say, I'm struggling with this. I don't get it. We often don't do that because that's a pride thing. We don't want to imagine that we don't have it all together. But you know what? The, the quicker we do that, the better off we'll all be. Well, you know, I think you bring bring up something, you know, there is a difference between essentials, uh, which in my opinion, you know, uh, gender equality in the church is an essential. And then there's preferences, you know, like, well, worship styles or I want hymns as opposed to, you know, fancy smancy um, skinny jeans pastor up there. So I think that's a question to consider. Um, and then also, as you were talking about unity versus uniformity and basically deciding, like, is this something that I'm willing to go to war for or is this something that I might just subversively um, resist without even knowing it? Right. Well, and that leads into our next topic really well, uh, <laughs> which is how do you have those conversations? Um, so, Joey, you mentioned uh going and talking with say the leadership of your church or let's say it's um 
maybe, well, okay, maybe members of, let's say, your small group or, you know, life group or whatever your church calls Bible study groups, um, or potentially it's members of your family, and you you have found these um, points of tension, these points of disagreement. You know, you do this, I think, on your podcast really well. You have a lot of people on, um, and you give people who you disagree with a voice. And I think a lot of us struggle with not only how to have constructive conversations with people we disagree with, especially like when you get family emotions involved. But also, I think what happens is we get we get discouraged if we keep talking with people who um, just constantly are saying, like, you're wrong, you're going to hell, you're wrong, you're going to hell, you know, you you're, you know, I'm worried for you. I'm concerned for you. I'm praying for your soul. Like all those things, it can get really distracting. So how do you, how do you have those kinds of conversations without feeling discouraged? And then also without feeling like either you were completely silenced and the other person had the voice or you did the silencing yourself? Yeah. I think, I think listening with intent is a, is a lost art. Um, especially the intent to learn. You know, you think back at being in school, you think back at, um, you know, environments where you were the pupil. And what would we do? We'd sit in silence. We would raise our hand. We would ask questions. We would take notes because there was something that we didn't know. And when we graduated college, we forgot all that. We forgot the idea that there's something that I potentially don't know. I can't just Google it. And so we've dug our heels into what we think we know to be true, know to be fact. And we think we have it all figured out. But the reality is that we don't. We think we know, uh, we, we know what we like. We know what we believe. But you know what? That's not learning. That's debating. That's pride. But learning others' perspectives, again, is a patience thing. It's a time-sensitive thing. It's not something to be rushed. And it not only helps create safe spaces for those people, but it allows you to grow in what you do and don't know, what you do and don't believe. And so approaching conversations with, I don't know, please tell me, actually steps into humility, steps into growth. Now, that doesn't mean that you just adopt it and that you just go along with it. But I think just affirming the same beliefs with the same people every week, re realigning with the same books, not expanding your content, your mind, that actually makes you ignorant. Hmm. But adopting the I don't know, let's learn attitude is a lot more about tabling pride. It's more of an attitude that approaches conversations with people, not as arguments to be won but as relationships to build. Because at the end of the day, like I want to know how to think, not what to think. Because church does a great job with this, at least in my experience. They teach you what to think, not necessarily how to think. And being told what to think is very easy, uh, just to tell people what to believe, how to live your life, do these things, adopt these principles so that you can be one of us. That's really what it's saying. Mm. And when you no longer believe those things, you hit a crisis because you're not in the club anymore. And that's what I think a lot of people who hit deconstruction are actually feeling. It's not necessarily that they don't know what to believe anymore, although that does happen. It's more like, look, I did what you told me to do. And now that I'm not, the second that that changes, I can't be in community. That, that, that's a dissonance for me. Mm. Yeah. But, but that was because belief was the underlying factor, not Jesus. If you think about it, the, the main point of telling somebody what to think, not how to think, is so that there's an alignment with belief, not with who we're believing in. Because Jesus never says that. Jesus never says, let's all believe the same things. He says, follow me. And so knowing how to think allows me to have discussions with people I agree with and people I don't agree with, even within the church, being able to process what I'm hearing for the betterment of my soul. And so I can filter out things like, hey, I'm praying for you. This is a slippery slope. I think what you're doing is dangerous. I can filter all of that out because I don't see it as a threat to my belief, 
but as a way of living out Philippians 2.12, which says to work out your faith. Like faith is a muscle. And people who don't work it anymore, those are atrophied muscles. Um, You know, there's a scientific principle that says that anything that doesn't grow dies. And we'd say, yeah, well, that makes sense with the plant life and that makes sense with our physical bodies. Well, yeah, well, what about our faith? Mm. What about challenging what we already know or we think we know? What about reevaluating our preconceived ideas? What about that? That's what I see that passage to mean. Um, it, It needs to be worked to be strengthened. And how do we do that? Well, yeah, by hearing things we agree with, but mostly stepping into unknown environments, stepping into conversations with people we don't align with, whether that's the LGBTQ community, whether that is conservative nationalism, maybe that is Buddhist, or maybe that's a rabbi just sitting down. Maybe that's a single mom, but maybe that is an an NRA member. You know, like you you just don't know where you're not going to know something. And that's the beauty of life. And so people are now opportunities, not like in the sense of conversion evangelism, but like as a way to grow your soul. And so that's how I approach conversations with people that I don't agree with. I don't know everything and I want to learn, but I also want to build my faith. But what about, so this just happened and and it's from a person I know well, and this person was using all the same talking points that I was steeped in growing up. Um, this person disagreed with something that like, I think it was on one of our episodes and um, they just kept hijacking threads kind of saying like, uh, you know, same old stuff. Like we have to take everything back to scripture. And if this person says like one thing that's not scriptural, well then we shouldn't listen to anything they say because everything is suspect, you know, and this, they just kept coming at, not just me, but other people with these these things that I've always heard. And those are the things that I'm like, no, I, I want to back away from that kind of dogmatic thinking. So how do you have conversations with or disagreements, I guess, with people like that where you're like, I've heard all these talking points. I know exactly what you're saying. I, I, I feel like I, uh, I understand this like literal interpretation of scripture and it's nothing new for me. So how do I then like approach a conversation as a learning opportunity or a way to like grow myself and grow my faith when it doesn't seem like they're bringing anything new to the table? Well, you don't go necessarily back to first grade hoping that you're going to learn something. You don't necessarily say, okay, I need to take algebra one again. There are times where you need to say, okay, this doesn't add anything to me. And, And this is an internal monologue. You don't say this out loud. Because that would be rude. <laughs> but you know, this doesn't add any value to me. This person isn't hearing what I'm saying. And I understand what they're saying. So what you can do in that conversation is, well, I appreciate what you're saying, but I disagree. So how do we move on? Mm. How do we move mm. forward? I like that. It's not yeah. necessarily dismissing them. It doesn't shut down the argument. In fact, it keeps the conversation going. It just changes the subject. And uh, especially for Americans, we're just not good at changing the subject. We have to win the argument. But I, I've I've found success going, I, I know what you're saying. In fact, I know it maybe better than you. And so we're not gonna we're not gonna solve this issue today. We're probably not gonna agree on it, but how do we move forward? Now what? And you can put that on them. If they say, hey, well, I don't know, what do you think? Well, then you can say, well, I I recognize that we have a difference of opinion on this, and it would be better for our relationship if we didn't come back to this topic. You know, you don't have to be an ass. <laughs> But, (laughs) but it allows you to, it it allows you to diffuse the subject, um, without necessarily dismissing the person. Because again, if the goal is unity, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're all going to believe the same things, but we don't have to focus on what we disagree on. Mm. For example, I can't talk politics with my family, either side. Mm. And so I just won't. And the conversations will go. And the texts will come in and the questions will be asked. But after a while, they understood that Joey doesn't want to talk about this. And so we're not going to talk about it with Joey. I can't talk faith with certain friends because we're just totally on opposite sides of the spectrum. Well, that's fine. We don't have to. We can talk about Marvel movies. But 
again, I think we've got this heightened sensitivity that everybody needs to align. And that's just not the call to unity. That's just the call to uniformity. Now, do you sit around and just take it? Do you become the doormat? Well, no. Jesus actually says, shake the dust. When you go to some place, you know, he was talking to his disciples and he says, you know, go to these places and, and preach the good news. And if they won't have you, you know, if you've done everything that you can, if you can put your head to bed at night knowing that you've got a clear conscience, shake the dust. Not everybody needs to be uh, made space for. Not everyone needs to have access to the deep recesses of your soul. And so you need to be aware of that and you need to guard that a little bit. That's more on you than it is on them. You sort of need to do the work for them. Um, but just setting up that boundary and, uh, and knowing where that boundary is, that's the work not only of maturity, but I think that's the work of healthy dialogue. Hmm. You know, I think it was Richard Rohr who said, spiritual maturity is learning when and to whom to have deep spiritual conversations with. Mm. Um, and I, I've tried to adopt that. And yet it's so hard uh, because, you know, you do kind of see, especially for those of us who have moved, moved past fundamentalism, uh, even moved past um, evangelicalism. And, and I have found myself being incredibly critical to the to the camp and to the tribe and to the church that I used to be a part of. And it's like, well, come on, I figured this stuff out and moved. Why can't you guys? And and all I'm doing is just repeating the sins of judgment and condemnation, but but from a different perspective. Um, but I have noticed too though that you can spot pretty quickly someone who's just not ready for those conversations. Oh, um yeah. You know, if you if you bring up something, whether it be, you know, inerrancy of scripture or women in leadership or, you know, inclusion of LGBTQIA plus individuals in our churches, if they uh, respond with fear, if they respond with defenses or if they kind of back away in sort of this um, fundamentalist apologetic response, you're, you're just it's probably not going to go anywhere. Right. I mean, it, it's just, it's not going to lead to anything and, and you can see it. Like you can either see it on their faces if you're talking in person or you, you can begin to see it like, well, but you know, this is really too far. And, and I just don't think you need to do that. And it, once they start projecting their rules on you, uh, that's when I just leave, you know, that's when I just say, you know what, this is probably not, uh, you're probably not ready for this conversation. I'm definitely going to be triggered by your response. And so we, we should, you know, kind of part in peace. But maybe maybe the back end of that, though, is that when things do get hostile, when things do get angry and um, either either you bring up a point or there, there becomes a conversation and they just lash out at you, they just start launching at you, which honestly has happened to me a lot. And it happens to me from my family and it happens to me from my evangelical friends who they don't understand me anymore. They can't quantify me anymore and I don't fit into their camp anymore. And they haven't done the work. They haven't done the studying. Uh, they have just accepted secondhand religion. And so they start attacking me for not believing in some of the very kindergarten things that they they continue to believe in. So so help me, Joey, how, how do I not react back to their hostility when they are very clearly uh, being belligerent to me? Um, how, how do I not get worked up, get triggered, and then respond evil for evil? So you ask this question, what's the goal? Yeah, like I'm I'm actually angry thinking about it right yeah, now. Yeah, and right? I can hear because that. Because <laughs> it's just so, it's so triggering, yeah. you know? So you ask that question, what's the goal? And and I'll come back to that in a second. But in, in my experience, people become angry for two reasons. One, they're already angry. Or mm. two, they're not being heard. Mm. Now, some people are just angry, right? Like you, you they wake up in the morning and, and it doesn't matter the conversation. Ready for a fight, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. it just doesn't matter what's said. It doesn't matter how it's presented. It doesn't matter your demeanor. Like they're just going to be triggered and they're going to be angry. This is probably a low percentage of people because people like to see themselves as, as very nice and very happy and things like that, but it does happen. But the latter of not being heard, well, that takes two sides. 
And I'm not blaming you for when that has happened to you, dear listener. Like there are just people who want to be right, but it's usually because the other side doesn't feel valued. Hmm. Now, I've never had an argument on my show because my goal is unity and aiming to learn. And I don't get into it with guests because one, I don't have time. I'm trying to record an episode. But secondly, I'm I'm not being asked for my opinion. No one's asking for my opinion. I'm there to listen. But what do arguments do? They pause the unraveling. And what I mean by that is that it takes a little while in conversations for people to give their true self. It takes a little while to get to the essence for somebody to say something that they truly believe. There's a progression of how much people will give of themselves. And in conversations, that usually takes about 30 to 40 minutes. That's why the end of podcasts are usually amazing. But <laughs> that's what you want. You want people's real thoughts. You want people's raw reactions. That takes time to get to. But if you keep pausing the discussion with all that you know, all that you disagree with, all that you agree with, all that you don't like, then the wall goes up and people are not willing to give themselves to you. And so that's what I'm after. But to your question, like, how do you deal with that when that happens? It's similar to, to before. You just say, okay, I don't agree. So how do we move forward? Because we've put so much emphasis on the thing, not the person. We're so focused on whether or not you supported Trump. We're so focused on that abortion issue. We're so for focused on whether or not there's a fourth member of the Trinity, which is not, by the way, but that's my bad joke. Uh, you know, we're, we're <laughs> focused on just nonsense. It's not that it doesn't matter. It's that you've lost the humanity within it. These things affect us. They absolutely do. They matter. Our voices need to be heard. Absolutely. But when you cross the line into this is more important than you, well, now we've turned it into something else. And people push back on my show all the time. They say, you never respond. You never tell them that they're wrong. That person got up there and said such heresy. I can't believe you just let it happen. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't push back. And I say, well, yeah, that's not the goal. Now, like I said, most of the time, people do get worked up on certain topics. They're, you know, pick them out of a bag today and they're just going to get nasty. You need to know where that is. You need to know if that family member starts talking about church, cut it off. You know where they're going to end up and you know where you are. Because like you said, not to demean them in any way, but you've done the work. You've done the research. You've taken time to process. So be the adult, you know, be don't stoop down to a child. Like when my kids try to bait me into doing something, I have two options. I can take the bait or I can be the parent. And while that doesn't apply universally, like there are times when you just have to say, no, that's that's just not worth getting into. Jesus didn't take every bait he was offered. How many times did he circumvent the entire situation? How many times did he say, actually, no, you're wrong? Or when a very clear what they thought was black and white issue of adultery was presented to him, he completely flipped it on its head by saying, whoever of you has no sin, you can cast the first stone. And then they all left. So looking for ways to, I know it sounds trite, but be a little bit more Jesus-like, to not enter into all the opportunity that people place before you because argument is a high. I'm sure yeah, there's a yeah. scientific explanation to the endorphin release that arguments have. You usually feel something after an argument. You don't just walk away going, well, that was fun. You're either frustrated right. or you're finally glad you got your opinion out. Um, but well, yeah, I mean, there's a dopamine uh, release yeah. for sure. And that's, and that's great. There are times yeah. for that. But again, back to my first thing, what's the goal? Hmm. You trying to stay in the family? Trying to stay in the church? Trying to build that relationship? Do you recognize things about that person that they don't even recognize and it's just not appropriate to share right now, but maybe when they do the work, you can? Or do you want to burn it down? Or do you want to burn the whole thing down? Because that's, <laughs> that's also an option. You yeah. can burn it down. And we're seeing that happen. Things are burning down left and right, but it's really hard to build things up when there's nothing as opposed to repairing something that's pre-existing. Mm. 
And I mean, you can be civil, but like, you know, I have degrees of relationships. Jesus did this too. Even Instagram does this. You now have close friends. Jesus had a ton of followers. He had a close group of 12. And then within that 12, he had three. Not everybody needs to be in your top three. Not everything needs to be discussed just because we all have the same news feed. You can be civil. You can be kind without having them super close to you, without talking about everything with everybody. But again, that's about self-awareness. That's about emotional awareness, about emotional and uh, emotional intelligence. How often do you take the bait of the argument? Because like we said, some people just want to argue. Hmm. Well, speaking of the ends of podcasts being really good, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm really glad we found that that soapbox, Joey, because I think that what you just said is highly important. I mean, we are not taught to set boundaries, um, it, emotional boundaries with people who are supposed to be like our spiritual elders or that sort of thing. And I think that that's so important is to be well, be able to say like, this relationship is more important. And I know, I know what you believe. You know what I believe. Why do we need to talk about it again? I think that's mm. so... Uh, it's so powerful and yet so hard to do well, sometimes. It's totally, it's totally frustrating, but I also think that this is like the next level of spiritual development. Like mm -hmm. it was difficult memorizing all those verses. It was difficult going to the camps. It was difficult, uh, you know, becoming that class A Christian that we all became. And then it was difficult to deconstruct and to take apart all these faulty systems. That was work too. Well, now... The next stage of that is, all right, I believe what I believe, you believe what you believe. Now, how do we figure it out together? Mm. That's, mm. that's hard. It's not mm. easy. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. It's, I, I, I don't want to do that, though. Right? Like, I just <laughs> want to be right. And that's, that's horrible. Mm -hmm. So... I Thanks, never want to be right. Never. Oh, that is... <laughs> well, and, and, you know, not to, not to be ambiguous, but it does allow... A, a certain fluidity, not only to faith, but also to conversations around it. So like oftentimes Jesus was asked, well, what do you think about this? And where do you stand on this? And again, that was where he didn't really answer it or he reinvented it. Hmm. And I think that again, if we're going to follow Jesus, like we don't have to say, well, what do you think about the LGBTQ community? Well, what do you think about same sex attraction? Uh, well, how have you loved your neighbor today? Mm. Yeah. All right. You know, it's just a, it's just a recentering around the thing that matters. We can talk about all those other things. And when you have a close relationship with me, when we've developed that through time, we'll get to that. But let's focus on the thing that we all agree on. And that's not to be yeah. trite. That's just to say, this is difficult work. So if we're going to get to it, we have to do it in stages. Mm. Well, I'm sure we could talk about this so much longer because it is such a important topic in our current climate here in the U.S. right now, and I'm sure in plenty of other places as well, just with all the polarization that we see. But we have to cut it short for now. Um, I guess that just means we probably need to have you back on again in the future, Joey. I'd love to. Um, but I, I would like to end with the question that we like to end on with everyone, which is based on your experience and your choices and what you've learned about disagreement and um, how deconstruction has changed your faith, is there anything that gives you hope for the future of faith? Yeah, so there's a verse in Joshua 1 where Moses has died, and God then comes to Joshua and he says, Moses, Moses my servant, is dead. Now get ready to lead these people as I was with Moses. So I am with you. So don't be afraid. Hmm. Like we had just said, deconstruction is a death at times. Similar to Moses, we have the comforts and safety of religion and peace. But when we start deconstructing, things get turned on their head and we look around and it's a little scary. And I'm sure that's probably what Joshua was feeling as well. Like, you know, this was this was a lot easier when somebody else was in charge, when I didn't have to think, when I didn't necessarily have to talk to God, when somebody was doing that for me. And deconstruction is a lot like that. I see pockets of deconstruction. It's similar to that call of Joshua where it's like, Moses is dead. 
The old ways of doing things are dead. Those are over. That old way of doing faith, that old way of doing church, that's dead. So now, rise up. Don't be afraid. That's what gives me hope. That I look around and I see that the people of God are actually waking up and they're focusing on Jesus. They're focusing on following him. There's a, there's a community that's coming together around this idea of taking apart the whole thing and they're focused on Jesus. I mean, they're walking outside of the church. 2020 forced us to do a lot of reevaluation, but we're finding vibrant, meaningful relationships with the divine even outside of these old frameworks of doing so, outside of the Moses way of connecting. And that can be scary. But again, I think like God said, like I was with Moses, so I am with you. Like I was with you that last season, I'm still here. I'm still going to be with you. And even though this is scary, even though this is new territory, even though you're not as firm and foundational as you once were, don't be afraid. And that requires work. That requires uh, being afraid and not being so certain sometimes. That requires asking a lot of questions. But I think that is what excites me, knowing that there is a revival happening. There is a renewal of the relationship with God, what that looks like. And people like yourself, people like me, like doing the work, trying to ask these questions, trying to engage with people. Like that's what brings me hope, knowing that this isn't just a, hey, that didn't work out and you wasted 30 years of your life. No, that was the first shell, so to speak. And now you're putting on a new one. Because uh, as, my, as my friend Scott Erickson says, he says, uh, the shell was never your home. The ocean is. And so that idea of like, yeah, you had a framework that worked for you before and that doesn't work anymore. And so now don't be afraid. I'm going to give you a new one. But again, this is just a shell for right now. Hmm. My relationship with you is so much bigger than the box that you put me in. And as we're getting rid of those boxes, you know, checkpoint by checkpoint, I'm just seeing more people doing that. And that's what brings me hope, knowing that I'm not crazy, knowing that I'm, uh, I'm scared at times and I'm still going to ask questions and I'm not going to have it all figured out. But you know what? That's the definition of faith. I love that. Well, and I think it's so healthy, you know, like so, so many of us, especially in our spiritual growth, started out with very hard lines and very strong boundaries yeah. of what I believe, what I don't believe, what's right, what's wrong. And that's a great place to start. I mean, we all had to go to kindergarten before we went to, right. you know, elementary school and high school and then college. And thank God that, uh, you know, once you get to college, you're not you're not uh, asking the same questions you ask in kindergarten, but you needed kindergarten in order to get there. And so just having the freedom to not judge, to not look back on those who might still be in, in the kindergarten version of their faith, like, you know what, that's, that's where you feel safe right now. God bless you. But I'm also not going to run back there and try to blow your world up um, because that just does no no service. So right, we can't I, I like do to them analogy. what they're trying to do to us. And I hate that. <laughs> right, I hate exactly. that framework. I hate saying an us and them because it's supposed to be an right. us. But people right. who are in that position are are desperately insecure and trying yeah. to hold on to some semblance of their identity, their cultural framework, their family identity, and that is scary. Like, let's not mm. deny that. But just because right. that's being used against us doesn't mean we use it. Right. Yep. Oh, man, this is so good. All right. So we do want to end with a couple of more questions, if you're okay. Oh, yeah. So like some rapid fire questions. You have no idea what we're about to ask you. So just the first thing that pops into your head, sure. uh, share, share it with us and we'll go. So first rapid fire question, um, what is the most Italian thing about you, Joey? My last name. <laughs> Perfect. Say it. Monteleone. Monteleone. Wow. I'm from New Mexico, so Italian names are not common here. Yeah, I'm I'm in New Jersey, uh, maybe about 40 minutes outside of Brooklyn. So, yeah, we got a few over here. Yeah, you were actually in The Godfather. The right? Mecca, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joey, who's one of your heroes and why? John Mayer. Really? Uh, yeah, that, that continuum record, I, I play that at least once a week. Um, but he's somebody who has uh, inspired me as a guitar player. I've learned pretty much everything that he does. Uh, and I look at his 
trajectory and his career as having ups and downs, not just musically, but like he's been in the tabloids, he's been out of the tabloids. Um, he, he defines himself as a recovering egomaniac and I just love his mm. transparency and that just fuels his music, which I just find very inspiring. Mm. Wow. You're really good at these rapid fire Keep questions. Coming. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. We're going to stump you with this one. If you could go anywhere in the world right now, uh, where would you go? That's a great question. There's the stumper. Um, uh-huh. I think I'd like to go to Canada and not in a, oh, what's in Canada? I got family up there that I just haven't seen in two years. And I would, I mean, I talk with them every week and I would love to be in the same space. And uh, mm-hmm. we've both had a deconstruction journey similar. We've had similar losses. Uh, and and talking about them is one thing. Being in the same space to share, uh, you know, some bourbon or something and then talk about that, that's a, that's a whole other experience. So, yeah, I'd love to go to Canada right now. I was very surprised when you said that because most people aren't going to say Canada. <laughs> I like the cold. I don't mind it. I mean... There's a time and a place for the cold, I feel like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Who is your favorite Mar- Marvel character? Spider-Man. That's not Ooh, even a why? question. <laughs> what? Why? Uh, Spider-Man wow. is the underdog and the kid who tries to hide most of who he is to protect the ones he loves. And I identify with that uh, as somebody who used to do that a lot. I would deny myself and, and you know, like who I was so that I could fit in and so that everyone would be protected so that... Uh, everything would just stay the same. But when he actually is who he really is, he actually can impact people and save certain situations. And and, and I identify with that a lot. Hmm. Nice. All right, last question. What are you currently reading and what is it teaching you? I am going through a couple old books that I uh, have read previously. Um, I'm going through Unsettling Truths by Mark Charles. He was a guest on our show and he talked about uh, the atrocity that is the reality of the Native American settlements within this country and uh, and how that connects to our spirituality. It's a fascinating read. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also going through Prayer, 40 Days of Practice by Scott Erickson and Justin McRoberts, uh, just as a constant reminder of what prayer should be and what it should not be. I think if we deconstructed through fundamentalist environments, we, we pretty much throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't have to read my Bible anymore. I don't have to pray. And there's a time for that. I'm not saying that, that, that shouldn't happen. In fact, if you know, you can't read the Bible without those frameworks, then yeah, put it down for a little while. Uh, but Mm -hmm. trying to get into the rhythm of what does communication with the divine look like, this is a great book for it. So uh, Mm -hmm. prayer, 40 days of practice and unsettling truths. Well, adding those to the list. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, Joey, this has been really great. I mean, uh, and honestly, very convicting for me because I have struggled with the whole notion of how do I get along with those family and friends that, you know, in some ways I've left behind. And it is so easy to argue and and jump back in and feel like you want to fight Um So I really appreciate you convicting me personally and then helping us with a path forward. So for anyone who's interested in learning more about unity, learning more about kind of finding that third space between us, um, where can they find out more about you and your podcast? Sure. Uh, You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify at Dismantle Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. I'm mostly active on Instagram. Uh, but if you got any questions, you can shoot us an email at dismantlepod at gmail.com. I respond to everything, uh, but it might not be immediately. Awesome. <laughs> I'll make sure to put all that in the show notes as well. So it's all in one place and easy to find. So thank you, Joey. This has been wonderful and painful at the same time. I've had <laughs> I appreciate a blast. you being here. <laughs> I've had a blast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. so great. Thanks, man. That's it for this week. Don't forget about our upcoming live course, Making Sense of the Bible Post-Deconstruction. We have done a ton of work to create a course for regular people like you and me who want to understand where and how the Bible fits into our lives if we no longer believe it to be the exact authoritative words of God. The course will be held live in July, 
and we'll have lots of time for discussion and questions because we've capped the number of people who can attend. So because of that, it is being offered on a first-come, first-served basis to Patreon supporters only. If you would like to attend, just head to holyheretics.org and click on the Support on Patreon button to become a Patreon supporter and reserve your spot in the course now. Next week's episode features the host of the Amazon Prime show, The Soul Nutritionist. Her name is Raina Rose, and her experience with superficial Christianity and the subsequent disillusionment of it set her on a course for discovering more transformational spirituality. Her story and perspective are fascinating, so make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss it. Until then. This episode was produced by the Sophia Society. Music is by Faith and Foxholes, and sound engineering is by Joshua Mudge. 